Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard. This is the ninth episode of my powerful new series, Power to Change, P2C. Christian, particularly you who want more, who want to hear Jesus tell you, you are my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased, welcome. I mean, we can do better, but there is one thing that's definitely holding you back and me back. It's not evil per se. It's not Satan sourced per se. It's just very human. You get it honestly. All of the acts of the sinful nature ultimately revolve around this core. It goes deep, deep, deep into our fiber. We are merely playing games with God until we identify this root and and really begin to pull it up. It's at odds with all that Christ is and stands for. He modeled the exact opposite of this in his humiliation, incarnation, life, and death. It's the opposite of a spirit of Jesus-like service. You can't just choose to stop it. If you could have, you would have. You can, you, can, you, know, you can blame a lot of other sources, but okay, so what? Here's the thing. If you could access a power bigger than it, you'll notice a real difference, right? It's one of the core causes of church conflict, as well as all human conflict, frankly. And we're going to look at two fruit of the Spirit that really do lean in against it powerfully. And remember, Jesus didn't have this one thing. Just saying. Curious? We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors, and we will get right into it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, here's a question. Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, all of those things. Those are very good. But you know, every Christian has them. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You have the Spirit in your inner being, right? And yet... I can show you five non-Christians, ten, who, who seem to have more of them, right? What, do you, what are we to make of that? Well, there is spiritual fruit and there are general or common fruit. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, calls them natural or legal fruit. So take gentleness, humility, for instance. Anybody can naturally be gentle by temperament in some context. They may just be nice people. We all know them. They may be gentle out of a fear of retaliation, right? So you've been, you've been spanked enough or punished enough that you're going to be gentle with people. A culture or a community may lift up gentleness and humility as a positive trait. And so that culture and community may be considered more humble. I mean, for instance, most religions revere gentleness. But honestly, we all know 
that no one is perfect or consistently gentle or humble except for Jesus, right? If we look close enough, we would see inconsistencies and hypocrisies. I mean, first, they may be gentle toward some, like friends, family, co-workers, their particular racial or economic political communities, their uh, religious communities, but not to others. Second, they may be gentle often, but then go into a tirade over some pet irritation. And then there's the Lord of the Fly kind of analogy. Remember that book? Are they really gentle down deep in secret? You know, if you removed all the constraints. Yeah? So uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not picking on one particular religion just for an example. Take Hinduism. Eastern religion reveres gentleness and a higher goodness accessible to mankind through meditation, asceticism. And yet, there are a few inconsistencies within Hinduism and Hindu society. I mean, the caste system, it's horrific. Uh, The the terrible poverty often within Hindu cultures is gentleness and humility towards abject poverty, oppression of entire classes of people. I mean, can we really call that gentleness? Seriously? Seriously? Uh, Buddhism, Uh, again, here's a philosophy that reveres goodness and gentleness, but where's that fleshed out? I mean, consider the human rights violation in China alone. Here's my point. The question is not why are non-Christians often more fruitful than Christians. I mean, that's debatable, but it begs another point altogether. Is the problem that, you know, we're bickering over not who has more fruit, but the problem is that for the most part, we're bickering over who has more natural fruit than the other, human fruit than the other. We're like two beggars comparing the size and taste of their last crumb of bread that they dug out of the garbage. The immense human need, universal need, is for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to bloom in our midst, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not us just being more gentle, more patient, more kind, right? When the Holy Spirit's patience and kindness bubbles up, it's really noticeable. And that's the problem in Galatia that Paul's dealing with. The best the Galatians could muster by working harder was pretty pathetic. Paul reminds them that at their best, they're biting and devouring one another. And and remember, these are believers, no different than us. Why would Paul have to say again and again, you know, let's not provoke and envy each other, right? I mean, they knew that. Why should we who are followers of Jesus need to be told that our goal in the conflict is not to have revenge, but instead to have the other person restored and honored? Well, why do we need to be told to carry others' burdens? Why did Paul have to tell the Galatians, don't be conceited, right? Well, isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't say that they need to try harder uh, to do better? than the non-Christians, for the sake of evangelism. The things, these are the things we say today. What they need, Paul says, is the powerful fruit of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul got it. Their problem, all, all they need is need, and they don't even have that. They're just trying to work harder to be better humans without God. These new Christians were riddled with pride, with self-sufficiency, with self-absorption, and the anxieties that come with that. And here's the word. The one thing, I'm borrowing this from the the old Puritans. They called it, I think it's a great word, we've lost it, vain glory. Vain glory. Well, 
all of the acts of the sinful nature ultimately revolve around vainglory. It goes deep, 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 deep into our fiber. We're merely playing games with God until we can identify the root of vainglory and rip it out. Uh, We need God's power to do that. It's at odds with all that Christ stands for. Vainglory is the opposite of the spirit of Jesus-like service. Now, normal, human, flesh-driven service, you know, I, I do good things, but vainglory. I require acknowledgement. I want a reward. I want a pat on the back. Uh, I, want, I want to be noticed. And if I don't get that enough, you know, I'm going to get bitter and critical, right? You too, surely. When I compare my sacrificial service to the less than sacrificial service of someone else, well, these actions and motivations are birthed out of the works of the flesh. It's vainglory. Vanity, glory, my own vanity. And remember the works of the flesh that are so obvious. Envy, divisions, discord, hatred, selfish ambitions. Look, our first step of revival is to be confronted again with this cancerous mass in our souls within our diseased, remember, diseased decision-making complex? This is anything but the gentleness and humility of the spirit in me. Right? Right, addict? Right? Christian who's struggling? Right? A person who's looking for identity, worth? It's vainglory that feels like God owes you something. It's vainglory that guards you and me from feeling the pain of others, the needs of others, because we're focused on ourselves. Vainglory continues to bring my eyes on my needs, my desires, my demands, my feelings, my requirements, my sacrifices, my victimhood, what's owed me, my rewards for all of my life sacrifices. It's vainglory that holds relationships hostage to make others need to jump through my hoop, uh, to rank self-focused consumerism, see? I mean, so somebody hurts me. I want to I see them punished. I want to see them noticed. I, I want them to say they're sorry. And if not, I'm going to be passive-aggressive. So that significant others, they must serve my needs. They have to heal me. It's similar vainglory that makes demands on a church community. You know, the church has to bear up under my scrutiny again and again, week after week. It's vainglory that robs my joy when I'm criticized or not held in high esteem as I would like. I, me personally, I'm loaded with insecurities, and that just flares me when I feel like I'm being overlooked or dismissed or, or somebody's, you know, patronizing me or leveraging me, right? It's vainglory that holds grudges, but it's so natural to me. I'm a Christian. Look, here's the point. We Jesus followers desperately need a remedy for our natural vainglory. The only natural predator of vainglory is the Holy Spirit in you. The power that the Holy Spirit access through him and bubbles up in Paul's list of fruit. What does this fruit finally look like when I finally see it? Well, <laughs> that's the point. Then you'll know. It's going to be obvious so much so that other people will see it. First of all, you're actually going to begin to love God more. Second, you're going to feel God's love more. Third, you're going to begin to love your neighbor in a radical new way. Fourth, you're going to begin to feel loved by others in a radical new way. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, says that those who are filled with the fruit of the Spirit don't think less of themselves. Rather, they just think of themselves less. 
I think the world would be better. I think the church would be better. I think families would be better. Real fruit of the Spirit is directed outward. It seeks others' goods, even at my expense. It's community-oriented. It's the core of righteousness, beginning with the community of God himself. It's wildly generous towards others, towards the kingdom work. It reflects God's love for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. His, not mine. So you've probably heard me say this before. I said it in my ministry. If you are an active participant, volunteer, minister, evangelist, because you feel like it's the right thing to do, it's it's what good Christians do, this is how you were raised in the church, stop it. Just do yourself a favor. It can only lead to bitterness, dissatisfaction, criticism towards others, uh, right? The very people that Jesus loves. If you're a tither and you regularly give 10% or 33.33, which is, by the way, more of a biblical number, uh, track, track my stuff on tithing, um, because you're, you're doing it because that's the right thing to do, stop. <laughs> well, or at least give the 33 to my ministry, right? Because, no, only, only kidding, only kidding. The uh, point is, why sell your redemption so short? Why act like an orphan, like a slave, like trying to gain God's favor, to earn your way? Rather, hold up empty, lifeless hands and subject yourself to God. Submit to the guidance and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, give me a new motivation to do what you really have designed for me to do. Spirit, empower me, motivate me to give whatever you want me to give freely and sacrificially. Give me joy in giving and serving. Well, try that. It's a whole new ballgame. A lot scarier, I get that, but a lot more fun. It requires submission to his leading and empowering Man, you know, he could be a bit of a wild card, so that's a bit of a dangerous risk, but it's worth it. And look, that's the real rub, particularly for people here in the United States. Submission, dependence, those are four-letter words. We, we worship independence, leadership. Are you really willing to do that? I mean, today, this, uh, right now, are you... Are you detecting a spirit of submission and humiliation, willingness to hold up empty hands and go, okay, God, whatever, it's scary, but you can do it. I have faith in you. I have faith in the spirit in you because that's the essence of the gospel and and it will make a big difference. If you're an addict, you desperately need this. Trust me on this, a little or a lot. All right, it's a good time to take a break. Uh, We'll we'll check out uh, our sponsors, give you time to breathe and process some of this stuff. And then we'll come back very shortly and look at the fruit piece. Let's look at one more of the fruit of the Spirit piece. The Greek is erene, often seen in greetings along with grace, grace and peace to you. But it's also seen in parallel with zoe, our new life, our present salvation, our present state of existence as children of God. It describes, here we go, This is from a Bible dictionary, the state of final fulfillment, the normal state of the new creation. So shalom, wholeness, fullness. And you can experience it now in part by faith, at least a foretaste of it, perfect in heaven. But now we can begin to taste it. It should make a big difference. In English, you're going to begin to feel normal humanity, right? Right? that Adam and Eve experienced before the fall. It's peace and relationship with God. 
without having to avert your eyes. It's, it's this gaze that gives you value and worth and, and honor. It's the still face video, but, but it's God, if, you, if you're familiar with the still face video. It's a miracle. It's the Sabbath present of Hebrews 4. You are more you. Matter of fact, you're fully you. Here's Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, meaning just rest in him. Not, not that you need to work harder to trust in him to see that kind of not, <laughs> doesn't make sense. So that you may overflow with hope by your effort. No, by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And don't misunderstand, this God's peace doesn't look at life and the world with rose-colored glasses It's keenly aware of the cognitive dissonances out there, the contradictions, the apparent injustices, the theodicies. But God's peace, and and I'm, I'm trying to make a distinction between God's miraculous peace that comes from him alone, a fruit, and the peace that we can experience apart from God that anybody could get. So this peace grabs hold of your new locked-in identity with, with all the promises of Jesus that he purchased for you that you can't lose, Romans 8, 28, and you rest in it. Th- think of a lower level of anxiety and worries about the future and worries about today and how people see you and how you see yourself. It's a miracle, and particularly when, when you're in this life struggle. But if your life is kind of in that, that turmoil... You desperately need this. And fortunately, it doesn't come from within you. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit in you. Well, where else can you access that experience of peace? Well, you can try denial. You know, things aren't as bad as they think and look for the, 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 the bright side. You know, <clears throat> okay, if there's no God peace, how about self-medicating? Your anxiety and paranoia and trauma, you know, that could be helpful and and temporary and and addictive. (laughs) Not so good. You've tried that, right? God's peace is the natural predator to human worry, which we have in spades here. Anxiousness. Oh, my gosh. It's, It's huge. Fear. And without such an alien peace, the peace that comes from God, there can only be at best a lower level frenetic noise in our lives all the time. It's a sense of need to fix, a need to order, a need to defend, a need to protect, a need to worry, a need to... All of those dangerous loose ends, right? The static, the worries over future, finances, health, career, relationships, making bad choices, missing out on something good, choosing the wrong path, raising our kids well. Worry, 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 worry. But what if you could access a peace, a thing, a power, a force that comes from the very heart of God through the Holy Spirit in me? Your situations may change. The world is that way. But imagine you and how you handle all of this. Not perfectly. This isn't heaven, but better. Imagine the ability to breathe, to process without the immediate protective triggers and defensive mechanisms, the quickness to to blame shift, to excuse, to explain your decisions, the, the need to make the right decision at all times. Too much energy wasted. You'll kill yourself that way, right? You'll relapse if you're an addict. But what if you could access God's powerful arena early in the morning by asking today, tomorrow, the next day? And then you can actually be empowered to, and be still to know that I'm God, right? Um, that's a good thing.
All right, the next fruit, patience, macrothumia. This is Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient. That's the word, macrothumia, with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. The context is debt, legal debt, and let him go, Matthew eighteen twenty three and following. So here's what... In this context, in this list, what patience looks like for God, macrothumia is the official delay of punishment of guilty defendants. The official delay of punishment. See, God does not always mete out his judgment immediately. Oh, that would be so messy. <laughs> he delays the right judgment not to encourage repentance because uh, they're already condemned. They are allowed to live on death row for a time to serve a unique and valuable purpose in God's kingdom. They're walking dead, but they're given a valued part in the God's kingdom plan until the time comes to pay the piper. And, And ultimately, it's going to be Jesus that pays the piper. If you're Old Testament, you have to wait. Uh, if it's a New Testament, we're going to have to, I mean, we still wait to experience it fully, even though Jesus did it all. It's a mystery. It's above my pay grade. So in the case of the unfaithful servant, the king not only did, did not mete out judgment, he went beyond that and he paid the judgment himself. That's the cross. And so therefore he restored the criminal. So God's splagnizomai, which is his mercy, is even bigger than the macrothumia. Macrothumia delays it, splagnizomai pays it. So don't miss this. There's always judgment. The judge pays the debt owed to himself himself. You know, this is not the pop notion of forgiveness. The popular stuff around where the plaintiff just dismisses the debt, just chooses to forgive. No, that's not, that's not what God does, right? God pays the debt in the forgiving path. And over a thousand Christian participants who brought uh, unforgivable crime to the forgiving path, it only takes two hours online, inexpensive, 78% better experience of this justice, and it indirectly caused them to choose to forgive. Here's Paul in Romans. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience, that's macrothumia, the objects of his wrath, that's us, prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Romans 9.22. Listen to uh, the Bible Dictionary on macrothumia. The wrath of God, though manifested already, will reach its climax only on the day of wrath. The righteous judgment of God can never imply irresolution on the part of God, as though he could decide only after a period of waiting. Nor does it imply compliance or indulgence. God's patience, macrothumia, does not overlook anything. It simply sees further than man. It has the end in view. It has a true insight which knows best. It is not swayed by human emotions. Macrothumia is not so much to allow time for repentance. The delay is simply to bring about more clearly what God already wills and knows, but he allows to come to plain fulfillment in man. I mean, for us, if I'm filled 
and newly motivated by macrothemia, my normal desire for immediate revenge is going to be greatly diminished. In the forgiving path, the desire for revenge drops 21%, just two hours through the forgiving path. Remember, forgivingpath.com? It drops 21% because we're experiencing this macrothemia fulfilled. I am surprisingly more willing to submit the crimes and hurts and dishonors into the hands of the highest court of the universe and to give up the right of justice to him. It takes a, it's a huge miracle. And when I am hurt, there is a huge natural power within me that wells up and wants to right the wrong, to defend myself, to hurt the other back. And it can be very blinding. But, but we don't know what God is doing in the heart of the perpetrator, that delay. We don't know if Jesus died for all of their sins and if they're adopted children of God like me. It's above my pay grade. We don't know what God is doing. All I know is that without the Holy Spirit's macrothumia, I can't rest until I get justice now. So if somebody has hurt you, you need this patience. And it's a fruit. But with God's macrothumia, I have other options. I can actually be set free from unforgiveness. It's a miracle. And that's what we do in the forgiving uh, path. I can pursue human justice if appropriate. I can enter into a discipline process, right? Go to the other and appropriate if appropriate, and hopes of reconciliation. But my desire is no longer for my vengeance, but for healing uh, and righteousness for the perpetrator. I mean, it's crazy talk apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. In the forgiving path, on average, participants, and there have been well over a thousand, experience a 21% reduction in their need for revenge. That's a spirit-sourced miracle, right? It's a big dose of God-sourced macrothumia. 38% increase in empathy, uh, for, the, for the perpetrators, miraculous. Remember, forgivingpath.com. It takes a couple hours. It's online. It's inexpensive. There's nothing like it out there. It's so powerful. If you look at Romans 2.4, macrothumia is related to kindness and tolerance. Uh, here's Paul. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? And here's my translation. Or do you despise the riches of his beneficence and enduring trouble and delayed justice, ignorant that the beneficence of God leads to changed lives? So macrothumia is a powerful movement within us, accessible only through the Holy Spirit, where we can more quickly delay our need for justice by trusting God's court. It doesn't dismiss justice at all. That's so critical. It's a function of justice. It's, a, it's justice delayed for a higher purpose, a higher goal, a larger good. If I have macrothumia rushing through me, I will be much more kind towards offenses. I will have much more tolerance for folks. I will have less of a hair trigger when someone offends me, lets me down, criticizes me. I will deal with offensive people more like Jesus did. Maybe even more like a magnanimous king would even pay their debts against me because I want to, not because I have to or it's the right thing to do. It's a miracle, right? So how do I get this god source power to undermine my vainglory? Ask. That's why we put so much stock in the simple uncluttered gospel. Please say it aloud, word for word, twice a day, 45 days. And look, if you're struggling or relapsing or if you're getting pummeled or if you have something you haven't been able to forgive, say it more than twice a day. No shame. I've got your back. I believe in you and I believe in the spirit in you even more. So sit back, listen, or say it aloud with me. 
Jesus' follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. You know, to kind of loop back, one of the things that would keep you from asking, no judgment, is vainglory. Just saying. Uh, As you've been saying this through the P2C program, have you noticed changes? Little ones, big ones. Are you feeling less stressed, a little more loved by God, a little more love for God? Are you feeling more hopeful? Are you feeling less paranoid? Are you feeling less that you have to self-medicate? You know, alcohol, porn, sex, drugs, cigarettes. Are you getting less hits from that? Are you smiling more, dancing more? Are other people noticing, feeling that you're loving them more? All those things. Remember, say the simple uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. Let me know what you think. What's happening? Give me a testimony. I'll post the best ones on the website, bill at gospel-app.com. You can get them in bookmark form at gospelrant.com or gospel-app.com. Get a bunch. Put them all over your home. Give them to your 12-step program. They'll thank you. And don't forget to take a look at the forgiving path www.forgivingpath.com. It was my doctoral thesis. It has helped over a thousand people. We've all had things happen to us that we just can't seem to shake. Could be from infancy, right? Our brains, did you know this? Our brains actually work against forgiving. We need a power greater than our prefrontal cortex going, "Hmm, I think it's a good idea. Stop trying to just choose to forgive. You've tried that. It requires a God source power. And that's what we do in the forgiving path. So powerful. 78% experience of justice for just the, for the crime or hurt. That's the average. It's, a, it's fantastic. Only a couple hours. I'm writing a book on the overlooked and underappreciated women of the Old Testament. It's a fascinating and a must-read. Do you want to know when it's published? Get on the list. Bill at gospel-app.com. And make sure that you follow this podcast. It's important to us. It helps us get the word out, pass the word to friends and family. Put it on Facebook and Twitter and social media and Instagram. Call, uh, put it on the church bulletin. Look, get it, get it out there. If you're an addict, bring it to your 12-step program. And by the way, stay in your 12-step program. It has value. It has great value. All right? Keep listening to this podcast. Take heart, child of God. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.